1: Welcome on in to Two Jacks and a Schlub. the show where the content is made up and the segments don't matter. We've been merging beer, nonsense, and sports since 2021. I don't think I got either one of those slogans right, but that's how the show works and that's how the intro is today. We have a very special episode. It is our Schlub Ethan Ertz. Very 32nd. Well, how old are you today? 32? Yeah, 32. 32. Yeah, very special 32nd birthday and we have a very special guest on the podcast as well for those of you who are watching say hello to jeremy big man Earth. jeremy say hello
2: oh
1: <laughs> perfect <laughs> and of course we have ethan who you've already heard and matt root my other jock is here supporting me since now it's 2v2 and uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes for this episode but we have A lot to get into because i have a lot of questions for jeremy but ethan it's your birthday i will say happy birthday i'm not going to sing for you but i'm hoping that jeremy's gonna surprise us and pull off a rendition of the song right now but i'll leave it up to you guys he could
2: he could scream it for us that would be kind of interesting (laughs) A a screamed happy birthday (laughs)
3: you can't put him on the spot
0: like no no i know
2: no 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 don't don't worry jeremy uh it would be just as a theoretical thing it would be kind of funny i might have you do that another time when we're not recording a podcast i'd be curious what happy birthday being screamed would would sound like that would be pretty funny
3: (laughs) plus would we have to like pay uh the michael jackson's estate money if we actually use a happy birthday song
2: wait does he own the rights to that? Does his estate own the rights to I that? I thought
3: for like the longest time Michael Jackson owned Happy Birthday. I think Somebody it's in the public
2: domain now, isn't it? I think that song's old enough that it's in the public domain.
1: No, because I think like when I worked, I don't know. What was, what, did we do Happy Birthday at the Grill? I can't even remember. But like, I honestly when don't I remember. worked, when I worked at the, yeah, you always had to do different songs. Red Lobster, yeah, we always had to do something a little bit different. So, that's I right. mean, of course, that was you know seven years ago now. So maybe something's changed between now and then. But yeah, yeah, we couldn't sing actual "Happy Birthday." So yeah, we'll probably get copyrighted for the time you played "Happy Birthday" to Matt.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> remind right. them. Yeah, don't remind them. <laughs> sorry, the, yes, uh, sorry, yeah, the, yeah, they're they're listening into this podcast now that now that my Kyrie rant has uh, <laughs> over four hundred views. I'm on the radar now. So over
1: five hundred now. Over five hundred oh, now. Yeah.
2: I will say I do feel bad. I was telling uh, Jeremy this yesterday. We were talking on the phone. I feel a little bit bad because Kyrie actually does do some admirable things in terms of like social justice. So what? Um, And my hate is not just for him, just to be clear. I don't know if I made that clear last week. It's for him. and, And it sucks because he has such a big platform, but also just anybody who believes the shit that he believes. It's just it's just for those those principles that I was talking about. So it's not just him. I just wanted to clarify that.
1: Yeah, which is why I don't think you need to feel bad because I think it was clear and I think it's, I think it's warranted. I mean, I don't care if we all agree on every single topic. Obviously we don't. We've argued many single times on this podcast, off this podcast, we will continue to argue in the future. But I think like when it comes to that, I mean, I, I don't know. You guys said it when I said it. I was like, you you don't get the vaccine, then you miss out on social responsibility or you're not taking social responsibility, then you miss out on social th- events like that. That's yeah. just how it is. I mean, exactly. Ethan,
3: did you feel oppressed at the concert venue on uh, Saturday night showing your <laughs> vaccine card? Did you feel like your freedoms were being robbed?
2: I did not. I did not. But I am like, you know, a rational human being who is capable of like compassion and empathy and basic courtesy, you know, basic decency. So when you're capable of all of those things, then then, no, you can handle wearing a mask and showing a vax card. But if you're not capable of those things, and sadly, there are many millions of people in this country who are not, then then, yeah, they look at that as fucking oppression.
1: What yeah. about you, Jeremy? Do you think you're a decent human being?
4: Yeah, you called me a mensch. So I, Yeah,
1: you know. <laughs> Jeremy <laughs> a, is a mensch. Yeah.
4: Now, the Yiddish word for your vocabulary, folks.
2: I was just gonna say, yeah. So I told Jeremy he was a mensch recently when we were talking. So is that have... a good
1: thing though? Because oh, I... it's a great thing, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I'm just okay. so I, I've taught our listeners a couple of Yiddish words uh over the course of the pod, and so here's another one for those who don't know mensch is essentially uh, um, a person of honor and integrity. Um, but but beyond that is like who Mike Messina. Mike Joe Messina's Paz's book yeah, in Joe Paz's book. Exactly. He has a whole bit about that. So yeah. So a mensch uh, in addition to that is, is somebody who just always tries to do the right thing and just tries to always do right by other people and is unselfish. Um, these kinds of things.
3: Okay. So, and of course I'm a mensch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're a <laughs> mensch. Jeremy's a mensch. Whoa,
3: whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: How do we get on mad? This is on Jeremy. No, I know. Mm-hmm. I know.
3: But I mean, you called me a mensch before too, but I always thought it meant like chum, like, you know, bud. Oh, like, no, 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 no,
1: chums, you know. no, no, yeah. no, well, th- this is for, this is for Matt and Jeremy.
2: Oh,
1: well, thank you. Right. It thank you
2: for Jeremy. Nice, very nice. That's good. <laughs> <clears throat> that reminds me. So Jeremy, you should tell them real quick. Jer- tell them the story. So he was listening to our last episode, but he had to pause it because he got to work and then he had to resume listening uh, afterwards. Tell that story real quick.
4: No, it wasn't work. It was, uh, I was listening it on uh, the way to my, t- one of my tattoo appointments. And I paused and, you know, went and got my tattoo. And as soon as I turned the car back on, the radio automatically comes on to where it was left off. And it's just Ethan going, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently
2: it was, it was mid rant. Yeah.
4: Wonderful yes. way to be greeted while studying like
2: that. I just thought that was pretty funny. Pretty felt good, like my childhood
4: over all over again. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, shit. All right. So, Kyle, you got stuff you want to get to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have questions for Jeremy and I figured we could do a a World Series preview. And if Jeremy wants to be a part of that, that's fine. But I don't I don't have a ton of topics for today because I wanted to do your birthday stuff.
2: Yeah, cool. Yeah, that sounds great.
1: Well, my first question for you, Jeremy. So I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast Smart List, but it's Jason Bateman, uh, Will Will Ferrell, (laughs) Will Arnett and uh, Sean Hayes. And uh, they are going on tour. And uh, recently they interviewed Chelsea Handler and they were talking about like going on the road and what it's all like and everything. And I thought, hmm, we could go on tour in the future, but I don't know what touring is like. You know what touring is like, so I would love to know what it really is like.
2: Oh, this is going to be good.
4: Let me be your <laughs> tour manager, first of all. Uh, that's, that's my aspirations with the music industry is to eventually tour manage ideally someone like uh, you know taylor swift or something where i could just easily go across the, the world and make a million dollars a year but yeah hey, uh, give us give us five years and we'll take you across the world okay cool cool yeah planning on that uh my band tours with what you call diy touring so we've seen you know we're not guaranteed what say a band that is established might like a band like trampled, as you guys talk about them a lot. Um, we, we see some of the dirtiest, grossest places that you can imaginably really, uh, imagine playing. And uh, we've seen, you know, some great venues, but honestly, touring is mostly uh cornfields and truck stops and shitty venue bathrooms where the, there's no toilet seat or stall door. That's, that's my experience with touring.
1: So you don't have a private plane.
4: And we do not have a private plane, uh, nor do we have a private bus. We do have uh, what we call Big Red, which is a 12-passenger van, and, and uh, it smells bad. Uh, trash piles up pretty quickly. Every tour we go on, we're like, hey, guys, let's uh, not fucking do what we did last time and let the pa- uh, trash pile up. Let's uh, keep it clean. Let's get ahead of ourselves. And you know, by day three, no one gives a fuck, and there's dirty underwear, there's socks, there's like half smoked joints and half empty beer cans and cans of beans. And uh it's pretty gross. But you so know... you're
1: you're on the right path though. I mean, like Ethan, wasn't remember when we were gonna go see Trampled Again, like right before you moved from Syracuse to Rochester. And I think they had their like they had a bus or something break down, right?
2: Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Um Yeah, yeah. I mean that shit happens. And I mean, well the thing is, so like for the for those who don't who don't know pretty much any artist that you listen to with the exception of maybe like your major pop stars. Cause sometimes major pop stars like Rihanna or whatever, they'll just get discovered as like a young person who's hot and has a good voice and a big time producer will just like produce their record. And all of a sudden they're a star. There's so more than that, there's more than that, but sure. That's just an example of some people like that. Take that out of the equation for a second. The vast majority of musicians, whether it's bands or solo singers, songwriters, whatever have to come up kind of and do the shit that jeremy's talking about like when you don't have a following when you don't have a name yet you have to go and do all of this shitty fucking you know venues and drive in a crappy van that might break down and and all of this kind of shit like it's it's not a glamorous life um it's really rough but it's also i think there's kind of a point of pride to it jeremy would you say that that's right
4: yeah of course i mean it it, call it like the road dog lifestyle you know what i mean
2: it's uh (laughs) yeah and like Frank Turner has a song about that. Matt and I just saw him this weekend. We'll talk about that. But in one of Frank Turner's t- songs, he talks about how he wants to see people who uh, drove a thousand miles and played a show on no sleep and get up hungry to do it again the next day. That kind of thing, um, which is exactly the sort of DIY stuff that Jeremy's talking about. Like, that's the shit you have to do. Um, and so there are people like that, I think, who really who value that experience. Yeah.
1: But is that the type of tour that you want to go on with me? I, I don't know that I necessarily want to do that. Oh, this. I don't want to do that. I don't I mean, want I to do that.
4: that. That's nah. why you need me as your tour manager. I know the ins and outs of the industry from both a musician and, a, you know, professional standpoint. Uh, I'll get you yeah. the best traits at all the best
1: westerns. <laughs> hey, ethan, come hey, on. i don't need you to can... stay anywhere fancy i just want to have fun like but I, but i i know i can't stay up all night like i don't do hard drugs I, I, it's not the 1970s like i need to get some sleep i'm not like ethan but i i
3: definitely need to get some sleep Pile me into a van we'll drive somewhere and we'll make it happen come on
2: i mean we could handle driving and well so but we're lucky because but why Matt... can't we
3: get
1: a plane i don't know why we stuck <laughs> on this keep... on the debate. <laughs>
2: Uh, if you guys are going to bankroll the plane, go for it. I'm a music teacher. Uh, but you guys, if you want to do that, go for it. Matt, I mean, Matt's got that big fucking plant manager money. So. I, say, I
3: don't know how much money you guys think there is in dirt. It's guys, a big dirt right? bag in money. Um, well, I've got my, uh, I got my
1: internal stock that uh, could turn into something big if Snappy Kraken takes off. So
3: there we go. So, you you, so, so if that happens, yeah.
2: if Snappy Kraken blows up, then Colin's going to be our fucking meal ticket.
3: Perfect. Okay, Colin, put your hands over your ears. Jeremy and Ethan pump and dump, pump and dump scheme. Okay. We're going to get that that stock price high. We're going to have Colin dump his shares. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) And he can buy the plane for us. Exactly. Perfect. (laughs) Never mind that I just potentially implicated myself in uh, SEC um, illegal activity. But yeah.
2: And you know, they're keeping a close
3: eye on us. It's hypothetical. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But no, I I wanted to like, I like that Jeremy brings up the van because, um, I like that it's like a hallmark of the DIY or the small tour. Uh, Like one of my favorite bands is this goofy outfit from Detroit called Electric Six, and they got so well known for their little their Econoline van that they literally started selling tour T-shirts that just had a picture of the van on the front Um, because it was that well like it was it was ridiculous. I I bought one though, like I wanted it. That
4: was our first van was a Ford Econoline ninety (laughs) ninety four. I had a foldable leather bed in the back. (laughs) I had no AC and no uh, heat. So we toured around the north part of the country in the dead of winter. And we toured around the deep south in the dead of summer (laughs) on leather seats. I remember waking up in Texas and uh, nothing but my underwear and a huge dusty truck stop and just sitting up. And it was like 105 degrees in the van and just all the skin peeling off my back from the leather. (laughs) And I think... uh, I think that might have been the day I puked up some Chick Fil A before we played a, a set. So, you know, that's that's my experience. out there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys.
3: Ethan Collin, what sounds wrong about that, Jeremy? That's the, that's the, if you're a manager, that's the experience I want. We. Oh uh, my
4: God. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say this, but we slept. You know, three men abreast. In the back because it was so cold some nights, like negative ten, while we were on the road, that it, just the body heat was keeping us alive. Uh, Jesus it was, Christ, yeah, pretty fucked up. But I, mean, I mean, when we had that van, we were still in college, and you know, we still eat beans out of cans from Walmart. But uh, nothing's changed as far as that go- goes. But we do have a nicer van now. You know, it's got a bed, like a nice foam mattress, and uh, it has heat, and it has AC.
1: But yeah. So as large you- now. Yeah, and yeah. as you've upgraded, like you've told us about the hardships, are you having any fun? Like, I can think about, I mean, okay, I'm not, uh, no offense, but I'm not comparing you to the Eagles, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but, like, you know, they, they used to talk about their third encore where they would fill the bathtubs up with Budweiser and they would have these buttons that would be passed out by the tour managers during the show to girls that would come back and, you know, they'd do all their drugs and drink and, you know, do whatever and just have some fun in, in the hotel or Joe Walsh would be doing $35,000 in room damage, you know, whatever the, the case may be. But, but what type of, do you guys like have any rituals or like any type of fun that you can tell us about?
4: We actually do have a ritual. Um, before we get, you know, before we play any show or any sort of performance, we, we do a little hands together thing and it's our, our little chant is fuck shit up. And that's what we do. We just need <laughs> to fuck shit up. Um, yeah, we have fun. You know, I was, I was talking about it uh, with Ethan yesterday. Uh, you know, we're, we're working on our second record here and I think it far surpasses our debut record and has a lot of potential. But, you know, if it flops, we're at a point in our career where, you know, we may not pursue this as hard as we have for the last six or seven years. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't trade any of it for anything because I can say that I lived out my childhood dream, which not many people can say. Uh, I've played in something like 36 or 38 states. I've opened up for bands that I look up to. I've, you know, Randy Bly from Lamb of God. Uh, not that many people might know who that is, but uh, he, he shouted us out via Cameo earlier. which you know, awesome. Mm -hmm. uh so like we've we've done some really cool stuff we're about to release our second record it's going to be pressed on vinyl like, like all these goals that we've had um you know have been achieved so hell yeah we've had fun there's a lot of hard and there's a lot of you know paying paying dues and you know that's why i still have some faith because uh so many of my friends bands have come and gone and they all hated each other and you know our chemistry is still great these guys are my family and uh I love them and we make cool art together and we really like going and being gross on the road and not showering for (laughs) a week or more on end and eating canned bean and canned uh, chef Boyardee macaroni and uh, you know, stuff like that. So it's, it's worth it all. I've met some of my best friends, you know, through music, not only the guys that I play with, but I have friends all over the country, Uh, friends in places. I never thought I'd have friends in, and uh, that I still talk to on the reg. So it's, it's done so much more than just, just even the few days that we play, you know, I've developed these relationships that have been so, you know, meaningful and just really cool to have that, you know, I I think it's a pretty unique experience that only certain people get. And I'm grateful for it.
3: I I love, I like your, I like your ritual, like the fuck shit up, but, I often, I often think of just really ridiculous things. And I was hoping you'd say something like, you know, every night we played Uno and the first loser of Uno had to drink the venom of three scorpions from Guanajuato, Mexico, or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) Like, like, but yeah, that's, that's cool. I don't know why I thought of that, but I had very to intricate. It. So yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, you don't know what's going on up
2: here. when we go on tour, Matt, you can come up with some sort of insane ritual for yes. us. Okay.
4: Right. I'll
3: start yeah. thinking about it's it. It's gotta now. be yeah. eating the worm. <laughs> oh, that's too easy.
4: I've always wanted to do that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> that
4: sounds horrible. I've done my fair share of uh, extracurricular activities, but eating the worm <laughs> is not one of them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh
4: all right no dad listens to this so i don't want to say too much but
3: what so so what's your what's your favorite um do you have like a favorite city or venue you played in i know i briefly talked about uh you know you, you said you played the yacht club in, in um cincinnati I remember cincinnati that, but...
4: rules i i really like cincinnati not my favorite but the the yacht club is an awesome venue and yeah. the food there is awesome and they had good beer and they've got uh, a good heavy
2: scene right jeremy that's part of the reason you yeah. like it cincinnati
4: yeah. is kind of like the capital of the midwest hardcore in, in my opinion um Shout out to Qbert who may probably never hear this, but yeah, <laughs> that's the promoter out there who, you know, he does big shows, but he also hosts shows in his basement for bands. That are like coming through Cincinnati for their first time. He'll do that. And then he'll also book them when they're selling out 500 cap v- rooms or more. Um, so they got a good thing going on out there and it's kind of centralized where, you know, people from like Kentucky can get up there. People from Indiana, Illinois, uh, Pennsylvania, even. So that that's definitely a cool spot. We've done really well in the South for whatever reason, which is really funny giving uh, a lot of my lyrics are incredibly political and, uh, you know, not exactly what the South's politics or social uh, <laughs> views are. Um, but, you know, all of my friends, like I said, I've made a lot of friends in places I never thought I'd be making friends in, in these deep South, like B or C market cities where you think it's going to be a bunch of, you know, backwoods type things. It's like some of the, some of my most intelligent, well-spoken, empathetic friends have been from these places. Uh, one of them is Panama City, Florida. I've had, I, every time I'm down there, usually it uh, involves meth somehow. <laughs> um, not not with us but just like running into someone who very very clearly loves the stuff Um, (laughs) but also like we made some really great friends down there and every time we come back we played there probably the most outside of burlington which is pretty funny considering it's 24 hours away um but a lot of the folks down there are super great and every time we go back it seems like the show is just better and better and that's you know kind of what the idea is you know go out and we, we do well here at home in Burlington, but like when we go out on the road, the idea is to make friends and build up that community elsewhere. And then every time we come back, ideally the, the show is better than before. Um, Texas is also pretty great. Texas has a great metal scene. They're like Panteras from there. So, you know, they they got a lot of diehards and Corpus Christi was one of the best shows we've ever played on the road. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. We've, we've done a lot of, lot of places and played the east coast a whole bunch so it's it's, it's hard to say uh, but yeah
2: nice yeah
4: Sorry, i don't mean to keep rambling no, like no we, no, we
2: want we want you to talk about this stuff
3: yeah you want to you want to tell us about a little bit about what you're doing now because i think to me that's super interesting and you're yeah you know just hearing this that would be good too you're, you're hearing the complete or you're you are now on the complete opposite side and hearing hearing you talk about earlier you know i guess for the listeners before we got on the podcast just talking to jeremy he's talking about like you know the adrenaline rush like that he gets he gets some same parallel feelings from when he's trying to manage these type of events as as when he's performing in these type of events so i don't know jeremy you want to talk about that a little bit
4: well yeah i just um i just moved back from colorado i was living out here before covid and working at a a venue up in this neck of the woods. And I came back because most of the management left and I was a lower manager at the time. And I came back and I'm doing like kind of a assistant general manager role kind of with my old assistant production manager role. Um, So, I mean, I, I I run the venue most nights or at least half the nights, uh, usually more from front of house and back of house. So that means dealing with issues with security, bar, box office, Co check, merch, et cetera, and making sure that, you know, whatever fires come up, I'm, I'm in charge of putting them out properly. Um, so yeah, when you're talking about that, like that adrenaline, I was, I was saying to these guys earlier that it, it's really funny because I thrive in these high stress environments, you know, during the summer we do shows that are 3,500, 5,000, 7,000 cap venues, and I'm pretty much running those shows and I thrive in it. I do really well. Like, you know, it feels really good. And then as soon as I am clocked out i'm at home curled up with the shades drawn and uh a lot of a lot of pot and uh just keeping myself away from society so it's uh, it goes from one end of the spectrum to the complete opposite end of the spectrum
3: i i think i think i identified with that just again a completely different world but in a management a management perspective like you know the every day is going to be different every day is going to be a new challenge every day is going to be some other emergency that unfortunately everyone looks to you to be the guy that's going to handle it so uh you know like you said whether it's unruly people who have driven two hours to the show that didn't bother to look at covid restrictions that you've got to you know de-escalate that conflict and either get them out of there before something happens or you know call the authorities or you know for me the biggest one like these past couple of months have been like oh uh you know I've got an emergency on site. I've got a dump truck that tipped over, and we've got a, uh, or you know, a tornado hits the plant. Those kind of things where it's like, all right, like everyone looks at you. You've got to get this done, and it's kind of a, it's an every day's different, a really really high stress environment, but um, also one that you can find yourself thriving in. And then I also minus minus the pot, but you know, I I'll get home and just like collapse on the couch with a beer, and just be like, all right, like talk to me in twelve hours. I'm going to bed.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, a lot of people have worked at the venue that I work at a lot of, you know, it's Vermont is not big, obviously. So there's a lot of everyone knows each other and I'll be out on the town. You know, you guys are catching me after three weeks sober breaking that because uh, I had to <laughs> do the craft beer thing for this show and mm-hmm. uh, celebrate Eve's birthday. Um, but if I'm out on the town, going to another show or, uh, you know, just grabbing a beer at the other bar that I work at. Um, people want to come up to me and start talking about it. I'm like, please, for the love <laughs> of God, let's not talk about this. We can talk about literally anything else. I do not give a fuck. <laughs> but if, if we're gonna talk about work, like we we need to be doing that inside those four walls. And that's kind of the shitty aspect of the job is my my hat never comes off to these people. Um, uh, whereas like I just want to not think about my life consuming. Uh, workplace and you know nothing against it I love what I do I find it incredibly fulfilling you know I was making really good money out west yeah uh, renting skis to rich people but that wasn't fulfilling in the slightest bit you know looking at it a sold out show and seeing the smiles and the people cheering and singing along to every word and knowing that I played a big part in putting that show on is incredibly fulfilling to me so
3: yeah, that so. And I'm I'm. I don't mean to keep talking to myself too, but that's one of the another podcast that Colin I listen to talks about that. About I can't I can't imagine the high that you get from just like looking out to a crowd and seeing how many people are out there singing your lyrics and your song back to you. Like that's got to be so cool. Like I can't I can't imagine it, but it's got to be something that's like a really cool experience. Whether oh, it's forty thousand people in a in a baseball stadium or you know, 400 people in a, in a venue, in a club, like that just sounds awesome.
4: And I think it's so funny because a lot of the people who are, you know, incredibly successful with it, whether it be a, a athlete or a musician, it just kind of numb it out after a while. I'm sure it's special and like really beautiful when they begin, but you know, it's like those, a, a band, you know, going out on the road and, you know, maybe they just released a new record that they're really proud of and they want to play that. But like, You got the one drunk asshole just screaming for the one hit single the whole time that they played thousands and thousands of times. And they're hoping that maybe this record is the record that can release them from that bond. But of course, there's always going to be someone being like, play wait so long.
3: You yeah. know what I mean? Play Freebird. Yeah, Freebird. Freebird it. Well, yeah, Fuck no, you, dude. It's
4: a classic. Baby. Yeah, yeah, if you,
3: they, if you yell Freebird at a concert, you get to, you you deserve to get hit in the face with a guitar. It needs, be, <laughs> it needs to be. it needs to be retired. Somebody
2: yeah. somebody yelled that at Frank's show on Saturday, they which did? I thought was insane. Yeah, yeah. you might have been in the bathroom. Yeah, it was super weird. Those uh, guys
4: at venues think they're hilarious. I've dealt with one or two.
2: <laughs> you've dealt with one or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair.
4: I they think they're hilarious and original by saying that.
3: Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: Jesus Christ.
3: You, they, they deserve a swift guitar to the face. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Jeremy, vote. what's
1: up? I want you to start thinking about this because you will not leave this podcast until you give us a story. I want you to tell us one funny or embarrassing story about Ethan that none of us here know except you. Okay. okay
2: but see, this is a problem because any story <laughs> he's going to come up with is going to make me look like a huge asshole. I guess I I already do look like that.
4: Retribution bitch.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's there's the episode title right there, I think. (laughs) Retribution bitch.
1: (laughs) So good. So start thinking about that. Oh, I'm thinking. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) And while you're thinking about that, I have another question related to your music. uh, I don't know how much or how, like how far along you are right now uh, with that second album. But um, do you have like details that you can share about that at this point? To an extent, um,
4: you know, we're, we're getting there. We're probably 40 to 50% way done. I think, Um, you know, the songs and their uh, compositions are where we finally want them. Now it's just kind of like getting the best recordings and getting the, you know, we're giving 150% to this, you know, it's, we've been in a band since we are all 19, uh, you know, and I'm 26 now and I'm one of the youngest guys in the band. So, you know, one of the other guys owns a company. One of the other guys is tattooing full-time and I'm doing my thing. So it's not like we don't have good paths ahead of us outside of music. So, you know, you have to take that into consideration as you get older, obviously, um, but that being said, like I said to you guys earlier, this record I think you know it blows anything we've put out like way out of water. It's it's really cool, dynamic record. It transcends genres, you know. And when, when I tell people how heavy we are, they tend to be turned off. Um, but you know, as Ethan can attest, I think people can appreciate it from an outside view so long as they're open minded because we're not just heavy, you know we're not a band that's just like, fuck you. We're just going to do blast beats and distorted vocals and guitars this whole time. We, we have a lot of really dynamic work and, you know, and I'm saying that as a vocalist. So, you know, the the guys have really outdone themselves. Uh, This music is really a lot of peaks and valleys, a lot of tension and release, a lot of really beautiful parts, a lot of really uh, heavy emotional parts and, You know, I'm just really excited and proud for this release. And, you know, if anything's going to do it for us, it's going to be this one. And, you know, if it doesn't, like I said, I wouldn't trade any of what we've done for anything. Um, Aside from that, the pretty much the only thing I can say is, you know, we're working with Greg Thomas, who recorded our first record, who's played in a bunch of cool hardcore, melodic hardcore bands. And he owns a record, um, a recording studio in burlington connecticut ironically uh, called silver bullet and we worked with him with our first record our last couple singles and you know he's like pretty much a part of the band at this point you know there's he's the reason that we've gone to where we've gone with this music um you know is his wisdom his insight his experience um and you know us at being willing to learn to you know i think a lot of bands will say fuck you we're doing it our way and we say no let's hear him out let's hear what he has to say because obviously the guy's got a lot of experience and he's got the clout and he's got the knowledge so um you know we wouldn't be doing any of this without him and you know i'm grateful for him and yeah really excited for this record to come out because i think it's uh gonna be one of the coolest things i ever put my name on yeah. If not, yeah, no, cool that's as awesome. As
1: well. we'll we'll definitely drop a bunch of stuff about it when you do get around to releasing it. And since we have a, an inside connection, do you think we could get the rights to the hit song to maybe use for our intro for the show? We'll
4: we'll just write you one.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: yes, better. you
1: better. I will take it. Yes, <laughs> I will take it on yeah. recording. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice. Yeah. Awesome. Any other any other Jeremy questions, guys, about or specifically about the band? I actually well, One thing I was going to say, this isn't a question, but just to, to piggyback off of what Jeremy was just saying. Uh, that's been one of the most interesting things for me to learn from him over the years. So I always laugh when I tell people um, when I'm meeting people uh, uh, and just getting to know people and I'm, you know, tell them about my family or whatever. And whenever I tell them about Jeremy, number one We don't look alike. So like if people were to see us out in the world and had didn't know that we were brothers, like how many people would guess that we were brothers? Like zero, I think. Yeah, which which I always think is funny. But beyond that, I always think it's really funny that we both ended up in music. But my path was classical trumpet, you know, heavily degreed, like super intense classical training. And Jeremy is a is a lyricist and vocalist slash screamer for a metal band. Like just, you know pretty, pretty far apart. Although as Jeremy and I have discussed, there actually are a lot of commonalities between classical music and, and hardcore music, but that's, that's a, a, another, another topic. But one thing that's been super interesting to learn from Jeremy is the relationship between the artist and the producer during the recording process. Now, I think it depends on the artist. I think there are some artists who probably choose to do producers who are maybe more hands-off, but I think in a lot of cases, artists do choose producers that they want to be like really, really involved in the process. They really, really, as Jeremy was saying, like how much he values Greg's wisdom and insight. I think there are a lot of artists who, who will choose their producers specifically for that reason. Um, which is just really interesting to me because obviously in my world, we don't really have um, an analog for that. Um, and so just been super, super interesting to learn about that over the years.
3: Well, yeah. And I mean, that, that's, that's interesting to see here. You characterize him. Jeremy as like a member of the band Um the 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 really big thing that first came to my mind when you said that was uh Bob Rock in Metallica. It was the same idea. When when Jason Newstead left the band and they recorded St. Anger, which you, you, we can go into St. Anger and how much everyone hates that later, but um Bob Rock was the one playing the bass on the recordings. Um he I mean he literally stepped in and became the bassist for the band. Um he was helping them get the sound they wanted there, but he was also playing an instrument while they were looking for a replacement member. So uh, and he had recorded uh, five or six albums up to that point. So, um, you know, just very interesting to hear that that perspective as well. Um, you know, I, you know, obviously you can hear a lot of the, you know, there's sometimes there, you know, you do hear producers that are just as famous as the bands, like Rick Rubin comes to mind is, um, you know, he's he's got just as big a name as a lot of the bands he represents. So um, it's interesting to hear, again, that dynamic there. And it's something that, um, you know, is very, very unique. Uh, and, and something I never realized that the producer choice affects the record just as much as uh, a lot of other things that are going into the, the composition there. I don't know how to end that sentiment. So I'm just going to stop talking now. Yeah.
4: Well, I think um, the thing that a lot of people forget, you know, or maybe just not, don't even know, cause they're not in this world um, is, you know, a producer is not necessarily synonymous with uh, pro- uh, an engineer So Greg, for us, he's our engineer, you know what I mean? Like he's recording us. He's mixing it along with this other guy, Chris Teddy, um, who's like the co-owner of the studio. He does some of the engineer work as well. So that comes down to like the physical, you know, the the recordings themselves, whereas a producer is kind of looking at the whole greater picture and they're capturing our idea and seeing like kind of the, the direction we're heading in. And they're kind of just like, he described himself almost as like the editor to, you know, an author. Cause like, you know, some, some of the lyrics on this record are are written by him where, you know, we went in and we tracked, uh, we mapped out the vocals. It's what we do prior to actually recording. I'll go into what I have and I'll kind of just speak out or like whisper out like how the screams are going to sound and like the words and he'll, he'll sleep on it and kind of work on it a little back and come back and be like, okay, how about this? And it's kind of like, just, you know, he takes what I bring in and kind of makes it smooth. And, uh, then we usually go for it. There's not usually any discrepancies. Cause like I said, I, I appreciate his wisdom and his idea. Cause he knows what I'm going for and I see what he's going for, uh, going for, and we work worked really well together. And, uh, ultimately if we're putting our names on it, we both want the same thing, which is to put out the best record we can with who we are as individuals and artists. Um, And so that's what makes a producer, you know, and he's not always like that for, for bands. You know, a lot of times, uh, folks will come in and be like, this is what we want to play and this is how it's going to sound. And he'll be like, cool. And he'll just hit record and, you know, he'll mix it and it'll make it sound good. Um, and he'll, you know, pick out the right heads and amps and pedals and yada, yada, post-production, whatever, you know, I can nerd out about this all day, but, um, ultimately you know it kind of depends on the relationship there and we're a band that like would rather take the time and not rush it and put out something crappy um not saying that anything he does is crappy but like uh you know we're trying to we're trying to put out a masterpiece that's our goal you know how we see a masterpiece and uh you know he sees that and he appreciates that and we work really well together and that's that's what makes a producer
1: Everyone's saying hi to Boris. That's why we're all staring at Matt's cat. Oh, yeah, Matt's
2: cat, Boris just made made his uh made his obligatory appearance
1: <laughs> on
2: the pod. Yeah,
1: yeah no, I, I, I do think um I mean, obviously you guys know I'm huge Eagles, Springsteen, I uh even even Tom Petty. Uh, Petty had Rick Rubin, Matt, who you mentioned earlier for wildflowers. Yeah, wildflowers, right? Um, chili peppers, yeah, M M&M yeah all These of boys. them have, yeah david yeah, brothers yeah, yeah. system
3: of a down
4: yeah all five records yeah
2: oh i yeah. didn't know reuben did system of a down all five yeah. holy shit okay damn yeah. he's real he's worked with like so many and really different really different kinds
4: he's of one of those people that he looks at a group and he just is like they're different and that's why it's like every band we've mentioned has been like iconic it's not just like oh they're good it's like no yeah. this is A groundbreaking band. He's the type of mind that sees that and wants to cultivate them into making them the best that they can be, and that's what the producer's job is. And he's just really, really fucking good
3: at it. I think. uh, I think with System of Down, he got a hand on some of their like self-distributed demo tapes from like an underground show, and was like, "Yep, I'm working with them." He saw them
4: at the Viper Room while they were still like a local, you know, metal band or whatever. Oh shit! I almost saw
3: Electric Six at the Viper Room this summer. Ah, that would have been cool.
4: That's a bucket list venue. Cause yeah. That's like, you know, where a lot of the big 80s, 70s, 80s bands made their debuts. I think even like I could be wrong, but maybe even the Doors played there. Back in the day, they like back in the day, they did like. Um, I'm blanking on the word a residency. A lot, of, a lot of venues did residencies uh, with those bands. So bands like the Doors and Zeppelin and the Dead and stuff, they all got their starts playing just the same venue over and over in these big cities. And not touring. And so like back in the day, touring was like so much more of an experience because it was rare for a lot of these bands to go on these tours. It was like you were mentioning earlier with Bruce, you know, you could name specific tours he did. It's like nowadays you can't do that because bands are touring just to make ends meet. You know, they don't have the sales that they used to because of streaming, because of illegal downloading and because of just oversaturation, because there's a million fucking people making music, not way more than that. Millions, millions of millions, if not billions of people out there trying to make music and just trying to be original, which is awesome because, you know, I think it breaks it down into a greater sociological thing is that humans are creative and that's a pretty neat thing. But, you know, it makes it incredibly
1: competitive. Yeah. 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 It's almost like sports. You got to be in that 1% of that 1% to, uh, to make it, I guess. And, you know, not, not that you can't have fun and enjoy the ride, like, you know, you and your brother have, but um man, it's, uh, it is cool to hear about it. I think we, we should definitely just keep bringing you up. Like we, we don't get around to talking about music as much because a lot of sports and beer end up dominating our conversations, but I could definitely, I would love to talk more about like the producer and band relationship and just like some of those like music related things. I, I think that's all super interesting. I can talk about beer and sports all day though.
4: Maybe not so much <laughs> the sports uh, as, as well as you guys, you know, I, I definitely find that I get my sports news from you guys most times. Just, <laughs> just, I'm too busy. I, I haven't had cable since I lived at home. So that's going on 10 years now and, so you know, I keep up with sports, but I I don't get to watch or enjoy as much as I like to. And these days, I when I do, it's definitely I think hockey is kind of my my favorite, um, which is pretty funny. But, well, I got uh, a
3: couple of hockey guys I want to bring on in the future. I've, I've teased them to Colin and Ethan. I think I've got some good hockey guests. But yeah. beer wise, what are you drinking? Oh well.
4: Oh yeah, Jeremy, talk about this, this. one's pretty fun actually. So. I don't know if you can see it well with the Boom, glare, but it's right? called foam The, foam the Smirk of the Dolphin. Correct, It is foam brewers. <laughs> uh, it's called Smirk of the Dolphin based off a local uh, band. So they're called the High Break. Uh, High Breaks, sorry. They released a record called The Smirk of the Dolphin, which is a surf rock opera um, <laughs> about a human-dolphin love connection. and It's about an aspiring uh, guitar player who... Like befriends a dolphin, and his surf rock band starts taking off. So he kind of does that. and It's about like the, the dolphin falls into a depressive state and ultimately ends up dying. And it's this whole rock opera, and it's fucking incredible. Um, but it is a sour double IPA with sea salt and passion fruit, and it's ooh, actually it is very shit. good. I I couldn't remember. I was telling Ethan about this yesterday. I take these sobriety breaks to keep myself in check. And the last time when we we did a show for them over the summer at one of our outdoor venues and I like took a sip while I was doing one of those sobriety breaks. And I remember it being kind of intense. I didn't love it. Uh, But I stole a four pack anyway, and I saved it for a special occasion. Tonight was the night and I'm on my second. I got to say, I'm loving it. It is just, yeah. (laughs) just sour enough you can taste the sea salt which i do think brings out like the passion fruit flavor and like the hops but like it's not overwhelming from the hops because i think the sour kind of like covers it all it's a a very good beer and i mean foam doesn't produce shitty beers foam is top of the line top notch fantastic brewery up here in uh, burlington so
3: if you told me that we would have a surf rock reference when we had you on the show i would not have guessed it (laughs) Uh <laughs> since the only person I really know who does surf rock is Dick Dale. Rest in peace, Dick Dale. But um That's Ooh. awesome. <laughs> I love that. That's great. We have like
4: a kind of funny amount of like surf-ish surf rock bands, surf metal bands up here. Surf metal. Uh, oh. There's sounds, just a, I gotta I gotta check that out. That sounds This a weird place. There's a lot of drugs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what else are we drinking, gentlemen? Uh I have
2: karate in the street from masthead brewing in cleveland which matt gave to me this weekend we were in cleveland together we saw a concert and hung out for the weekend and uh so matt sent me home we actually had one of these together this weekend but he also sent me home with a couple and it's delicious um made with mosaic which i think we've established i'm a i'm a mosaic boy so uh it's yeah, but tasty. it's not just
3: mosaic. It's it's wet hopped mosaic. Oh, wet hopped,
2: Matt. Do you want to? You should explain the wet hopping thing. Yeah,
3: yeah. So, so I went and explained this to Ethan. So we'll, we'll educate everyone here. So most of the time, when you're adding hops to a beer, they're pelletized hops. They're um, they look like rabbit food pellets. I mean, it's you, you, you know, it's you want to preserve that flavor. So it's a way they can kind of they pelletize that it. it captures the oils and the aromas and the essence of the hop, and it allows it to be vacuum packed and stored and brewed. Uh, throughout the year, um, but uh, every, every September-ish, um, they've got the hop harvest up in, in the Yakima Valley and other places up in Washington, Oregon, um, where brewers actually send their their brewers up or teams of sensory experts from the brewery up, and they'll test different batches of hops to see what they want for their beers for the upcoming year. Um, and one of the things that comes out of that uh, that experience is right in the, in, the, in the late summer, early fall, a lot of breweries will release wet hop ales, meaning that instead of what they normally do, where they add those pelletized rabbit food looking hops to the beer, they'll actually ship in like the like package and overnight hops that are freshly picked. So they're going from being picked in Washington state on a Tuesday to being in a beer on a Wednesday. Um, They're overnighted and and added within 24 hours. So it's um, you're adding the whole cone hops is what they call it. So you're actually adding the leafy hoppy flower to the beer, um, to get kind of a more, uh, I don't know, Ethan pithy, earthy, uh, vegetative flavor, like a fresh flavor instead of that, um, pelletized, uh, hop addition. So it's something you'll see if you see wet hopped beers, it means the, the hops weren't freeze-dried or pelletized. They were shipped, uh, freshly picked to the brewery to be added right away directly to the, the whirlpool or the beer kettle, brewing kettle. So. They're, it's it's a it's a nice once a year type treat for for uh, hop heads and beer enthusiasts alike.
2: Yeah, it's pretty sweet, and this beer is delicious.
3: Does it affect flavor? Um, you'll get a um, like I I, I mean personally, flavor is going to be different for everyone. I I get more of like um, uh, I don't know, earthy, planty, grassy flavor out of them. Uh, so I don't know if that's actually tasting the leaf or not, but um, they say that the the actual freeze drying process doesn't actually affect the flavor. Um, I'm not sure if that does or not. I don't know enough.
1: What are you drinking, Matt?
3: Uh, I just got a, a nice German Pilsner from uh, East Branch Brewing, just uh, maybe 20 minutes away from me in Donington, Pennsylvania. I wanted something a little bit lighter tonight. Ethan and that will, um, I will. I need more than Ethan, but I, I had a lot of crap this weekend, so uh, I needed a little something a little bit lighter for, for yeah. Monday. Hey yeah. Matt I think I
1: speak for everybody when I say thank you for giving the beer lesson this week Oh my god It's much better than the dick master Jesus fucking Christ
3: <laughs> No comment
2: This is such bullshit I'm not even I'm not even gonna fucking acknowledge this this time okay We're moving on I think on. you already did oh, We're, move, we're <laughs> moving on We're moving on
1: <laughs> Alright before we move on Sycamore I'm drinking Lawn Darts It's an IPA and uh Jeremy, you just reminded me, though, when you were talking about your beer last year, I got really into milkshake IPAs, but this year I want to get real into sour IPAs, so I'm definitely going to go looking for some of those. You just inspired me, so thank you for that.
4: Yeah, and you know, I don't, I don't love sours on their own, although I had one, you know, that when, when Ethan and I drove back from Nebraska and met Matt in a hotel room in Ohio. Uh, we had a, a sour there. I, I absolutely loved, I don't remember what it was, but it was in one of them big fancy bottles and it was a, a strawberry jam sour. Mm. And that was awesome. Uh, but normally I don't love sours, but this sour IPA is just like the perfect amount of sour and hoppy. And it's got that weird salt thing going on, which I did not think would be good in a beer, but honestly brings out the flavor. So.
3: Yeah. We got- yeah I'm going to have to look that up, Jeremy. We, we, we drank a lot of beer that night. So <laughs> 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 uh, man, <laughs> nothing wrong with it.
1: All right, before we go and before Jeremy tells us the embarrassing story about Ethan, uh, let's give what's. Let's just do World Series predictions. Uh, unfortunately, the fucking Boston Red. Oh wait, the Red Sox are out of the fucking playoffs.
5: <laughs> Woo!
3: Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Okay. So, so a comet's not going to strike the Earth. uh asteroid's going to strike the Earth. Like, okay, shit. So it's not the Red Sox. It's the Astros. Fuck the Astros. All right. So, what, what's yeah. your
1: prediction, Matt? Let's
3: I let's mean, go predictions. I uh, hope my hopeful prediction is or Braves and seven, but uh, my likely prediction is Astros and five. Wow.
1: Braves in
2: hey. six. Braves and six from Jeremy. Okay, I like that. Okay. Yeah.
1: I've got Braves in seven.
2: I think I I'm really, going to
1: I I really do think that the Braves can win and so I'm not just saying that because I want the Astros. I mean, it it will take 7 games for the Braves because of how good the Astros offense is, but the Astros pitching and the Braves pitching is seems kind of even to me. So, you know, I I could see it breaking, you know, one way or another kind of going back and forth um, you know, throughout the series.
2: I'm going to say Braves in seven also. I think it's hilarious. I think I wish that I had bet on the Braves before the playoffs, because what were the odds on the Braves, even getting out of the division series, let alone winning the pennant? Uh, It's it's insane that they got this far. Um, And I think so. So Bill Simmons, when, when Colin and Matt and I were in high school, Bill Simmons, he's, he's, for those who don't know, he's a super famous, um, sports writer, but he doesn't actually write much anymore. He, he like runs websites and, and does like all sorts of bigger picture things and like documentaries and shit. But when we were in high school, he was still writing a lot and he had this whole thing. Now he, he liked to just kind of, you know, say random shit at times. So like take it with a grain of salt, but he had this theory that essentially, Teams, uh, will sort of thrive when they are, when they are the underdog. If they get enough, if they get enough attitude about it, they'll, they'll get into this place where it's like nobody believed in us and they get so, so wrapped up in that narrative that they end up winning. Now, I don't know that that's actually happening with the Braves, but I do know that if you, if you took a poll of baseball fans before the playoffs started, the percentage that would have had the Braves in the World Series would have been fucking minuscule for the for the NL. It would have been Dodgers and Giants for like ninety five percent of respondents. I would say, so I yeah, Matt, go ahead. Oh, so I would say that the Braves like obviously I want them to win because I don't want the Astros to win. Um, but the fact that they just took out the Do- uh, the Dodgers, um, I don't know, and like nobody expected them to get this far. I feel like they're just on that kind of a roll. And they, they, I could see them in the clubhouse. I could see them like building this narrative in their heads and just getting like really, really into it. Now the Astros are really good and they don't have the injuries that the Dodgers uh, uh, have. So, so it's possible that the Astros will just stomp them, you know, the way the Dodgers probably would have if the Dodgers were fully healthy, but I'm, I'm hoping for the Braves.
1: Yeah. And it's not unprecedented for an 80 team, 80 win team to win the world series in the 21st century two off the top of my head the 2000 yankees with 87 wins and the 2011 cardinals 11 cardinals with 84
3: wins i think
2: 84 wins
3: yeah 84 and 78 what about the national last year or two years didn't they like
1: 89 maybe i I don't know if they crossed over 90 someone's got to look it up that up but we've got at least two the braves were at 88 wins this year this is during the regular season so obviously all of them crossed the threshold of uh 90 wins because you need a you need 11 wins if you win your division. Um, the Nats were a 93 and 69. Series. Yeah. So, they so this won, would they be the third. There. This would be the third. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. It would be it'd be pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we get out of here, Jeremy, come on, come through with something great. I'm blanking, dude. Oh, come really? on! Don't don't let your brother out. That's me. shocking. I have a lot
4: of, no, I have a lot of things that make him look like an asshole, but I don't want to do that i
2: mean there's, you know, can you can no, the fact fine. of
4: the matter is you know we're we're pretty close now and things we are, are now. Good now and you know why we I, I feel tormented as a child uh yeah. you know i would say arguably not not matt but i would say colin i think he played a part in that as well yeah <laughs> well, yes, well thank you well, thank you How did i get wrapped into this there's people thank who you. don't know know that like you know you guys were started you know you guys were friends in what that like first grade or some shit
2: yeah since first which grade pu-
4: which puts me at like one years old so I've known you my whole life just as yeah. much and yeah. your younger brother Tim has been he was one of my best friends as a kid so you know arguably you're both my older brothers and I took shit from both of you guys uh I don't have anything embarrassing unfortunately but yeah
2: so i'll say just to chime in on this so yeah so jeremy and i yeah i tell people this is another thing i tell people and i'm getting to know them and like talking about family or whatever so jeremy and I are, are a pretty big gap for siblings we're like uh, uh almost six year gap and and that's pretty big and and the thing the reason part of the reason that i think we didn't get along so well when we were kids is because when there's that big of a gap you are always at like a totally different stage in your life. So like when I was a teenager, Jeremy was just like a kid who probably just like wanted attention from his older brother. When I was in college, <clears throat> Jeremy was like a teenager. Then the other fact is that he and I are super different people. So like I was the biggest, biggest goody goody imaginable uh, until <laughs> until college. And Jeremy was the opposite and and so i because i was so uptight and i was such a goody goody i did not approve and so that so uh that didn't help either
3: wait a minute you're a goody goody but you also came up with like mean nicknames for him all the time well that's true yeah i was a goody goody. we can
1: talk about (laughs) we can talk about
2: fada that's gonna make me look like an asshole especially in 2021 (laughs) oh my god in 2021 that's gonna look horrible in like 2003 or whatever it was like normal
4: yeah when Um, i was Seven and being you know psychologically scarred for
2: life <laughs> <laughs> okay Well, oh, but let me tell this though okay so all right so FADA is an acronym and it stands for fat ass Dumbass. okay now I started calling Jeremy this when we were kids but I was doing it ironically I was doing it sarcastically here's why Jeremy when he like went for his checkup one year like his like yearly physical he was listed as being in like I don't know what was it like the 70 or 80th percentile for like it was weight like 90th percentile that was okay a- I was a dense boy. But you weren't though. But that's the thing is like, you weren't like, you weren't (laughs) chubby. You were were not like a chubby kid, but he was in like the, somehow he was in like the 80 or 90th percentile for weight. And I thought that was just absurd. Like he was just like an average sized kid. And, um, and then the, the, so that, that explains the FA, the fat ass. And that was, that was ironic. That was sarcastic. And then the DA, (laughs) the dumbass. that was because he did get, uh, he didn't get, uh, I was, I was straight A's like my whole life. And I was like very serious about school. And, and he was not. And so the DA was maybe, that was maybe less ironic. That, yeah, that, may-
3: that sounds a little revisionist, Ethan. I'm just saying. That is not it fucking
2: revisionist. That's the ridiculous. truth. <laughs> no, that is absolutely the truth. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, that is absolutely the truth. Wow. I would have told you the same thing in high school.
4: Yeah, Collins' whole family calling me Fada. Even Donnie Paul Dean was calling me Fada.
2: <laughs> Discret- well, the thing with Fada is that it's just so easy, it rolls off the tongue. It's a great acronym. Yeah, it's a great acronym. We we'll we'll have to if we want to be revisionist, then we can come up with with different uh, different words for it, you know. But uh, but yeah, so that one that's not embarrass Well, maybe it is embarrassing. I, I, you could see that as embarrassing uh, for me.
3: It's embarrassing for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, I I just said all I said is that you had creative nicknames for them. You guys, are the ones that brought up the Fata. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> it was relevant.
2: Yeah. Really yeah. You know
3: you know what happened to you guys? Maledict. <laughs> <Meledict. laughs> yeah. Thank you, Carl. Thank
1: you. I love that. Yeah. All right, boys. Well
3: RS is in the jackpot now.
1: We gotta we gotta get out on that. Absolutely. And uh this this has been a lot of fun. Jeremy, definitely come back anytime, any, any, any time that you want to uh definitely we'll we'll talk about music do whatever you want boys let, you want to say stick, anything before let, we go let's stick
3: a stake in the ground right now and say jeremy come back when uh, your record drops cool yes. yeah that's oh, for fun. sure
1: and and
2: before would be cool too because the record well, yeah probably yeah but probably definitely won't come out for a while but yeah
3: I'll, also i have to do have to shout out i do have the uh, vermont Brew's best coaster. I just saw that here, too. So. And we should say quickly.
2: And, Sorry, Matt, finish that. i that. come thought. up
3: and visit you. We'll drink some beer sometime soon. Hell yeah. Um,
2: we didn't actually say Jeremy's band's name. It's Voices in Vain. If anybody actually wants to, like, look them up, if you're interested in heavy music. And when I say heavy music, I mean, like, what people generally just call metal. People use metal as or sort screamo. of an Or Screamo. It's not
4: Screamo. Right. Screamo's as, its own <laughs> genre.
2: Right. And actually, that would be funny. Like, what we could do when Jeremy comes on next time is we could have a... Um, A pedantry showdown to see to see who can be more neurotic and annoying about like musical descriptions and genres between me and Jeremy. That would be pretty funny because Jeremy's just as bad as me um, in terms of being like, that's not technically that kind of music. Let me tell you why. Like that kind of music is characterized by this. Like it'd be that'd be pretty.
3: So you missed it while we were waiting for you in the show because he was he was going down that path, but he wasn't being a dick about it. He was just asking very pointed questions. Cause I I, uh, I I was getting some things wrong, so um, he, but, was. You know, he was being nice about it. Not like you, who'd just be a dick about it. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I am I am what I am. I'm I'm thirty I'm thirty two years old today. Come on, I'm too old to change. You know, it is what it is at this point.
4: And I'm a mensch.
2: And Jeremy's a mensch. And <laughs> yeah. Matt's a mensch too. All right, Voices in Vain is Jeremy's band again. Check so out, go guys. go listen to them.
1: All right, boys, Ooh. we're out. See ya.